Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, April 1st. 2022. This is Shannon. And tonight I'm here with Natalia and Brooke. And we are talking about new to us women authors. So some of these people have been writing for a while. And this is the first time we've picked up something they've done. So I'm going to start us off, followed by Brooke, and then Natalia. But of course, we have to have the housekeeping information before we talk about any fabulous books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first pick tonight is a young adult science fiction romance. This is Goddess in the Machine. Goddess in the Machine, book one by Laura Beth Johnson. If you're looking this up, her name is Laura, L-O-R-A, as opposed to L-A-U-R-A. So this is the story of Andra. And in 2102, Andra was put into a cryogenic sleep for a trip across the galaxy. She was supposed to wake up 100 years later when the spaceship that she and another group of colonists were on would reach the planet that they were hoping to colonize. But something went wrong and it's now a thousand years later. So it is now like 3103. And Andra has just woken up and she finds herself in the middle of this place where people do not know anything about technology. What they think is that technology is magic and people who know how to use technology must be goddesses. And so they have been waiting for a goddess to arrive to save their planet. And they decide that Andra must be this goddess. Now she is not a goddess. She's just like a normal 17-year-old girl from Earth who was asleep for a really long time. But if she does not agree to sort of play the part of this hoped-for goddess, then she is likely to be killed. So she has to convince these people that she is indeed a deity. She is joined in this endeavor by a young man who has a lot of secrets he is hoping to overthrow the current ruler and take what he believes to be his rightful place on the throne. And he thinks if he can have a goddess on his side, then his rule is you know, sure 
to be fantastic. Um, there's a lot that goes on here between Andra and Jade, who is the princeling, I guess we'll call him. Um, a lot of intrigue, kind of a, a slow burn romance. You're never really sure who to trust because so many people are out for their own ends here. Um, this is the first book in a duology. The second book is Devil in the Device. And it is out as well. So I do plan to read it really soon. It's super interesting to me, like the technology that we kind of take for granted here. Um, like these people have no idea, you know, how it works, what it is. Um, and so it just, it must be magic, like some kind of miracle brought about by the divine. Um, and so it kind of makes me curious, like what happens to technology in the years between like 2103 and 3103. Um, you know, where did all the technology go? I, I, I don't know, but I kind of want to find out. So this is Goddess in the Machine. Goddess in the Machine, book one by Laura Beth Johnson. So my first book tonight is The Little Grave, Detective Amanda Steele, book one by Carolyn Arnold. So our main character's name is Amanda, and she's a bit of a mess. Um, she, about five years prior, she lost her husband and young daughter, as well as her unborn child, and is no longer able to have children. Um, there was a car accident, and she has kind of just been going along, trying to live day to day. She's um, drinking a lot. She's taking some pain medications that she does not need. And she also oh. has one night stands. Like she can't, she doesn't want any lasting relationships because in her mind, everyone just, you're always going to lose whoever you fall in love with. Like she doesn't believe that she's ever going to be able to fall in love again. So she's called out to um, the scene of a, of a murder. And it's the body of a man has been found at a motel. And when she gets there, she finds out that it is the, got the drunk driver who killed her family. Um, he was oh. just released from prison three days prior. And now he's been found dead. So obviously, like, she's kind of, she wants to know, like, she, inside, you kind of get, like, an insight into how she's feeling. So you really, really feel her grief. She is determined that she wants to find out what happened because she just, she wants to know everything that's been going on in this guy's life and, like, how he ended up dead. At first, it looks like it could have been a suicide but we quickly find out that it was a murder. And so she asks, um, well, she pretty much like bothers her supervisor until she is able to like continue being the, like being involved in the investigation. Cause as you could probably guess, being involved in an investigation where you yourself could be considered a suspect is probably not the greatest idea. 
Um, but he does um, agree. No. He does agree. And he tells her that as long as she can get her alibi, then she is welcome to work. But he's going to partner her with somebody. His name is Trent. He's a rookie detective. And it, he's going to kind of be the lead on paper anyway of this investigation. So as her and Trent are investigating, they find some evidence that leads them to some cold cases from five years prior. Um, I really, really thought it was interesting, like just learning about the whole, like how Amanda is dealing with her grief. And like, also um, I thought the inter- the um, interactions between her and her alibi were pretty funny because um, when she has these one night stands, her whole rule is they don't, they don't exchange names and they don't want to ever see each other again. But she happens to know this guy because, well, she doesn't know his name, but she knows where to find him because she's seen him in this local bar that she hangs out at um, prior. And so she knows that she can find him. But like at first, she doesn't tell him that she's a detective and why she needs him to be her alibi. So he just kind of blows her off. And it's, it's kind of funny to see how they interact. Um, but as the series goes on, I find the books get even better. So this is The Little Grave, Detective Amanda Steele, book one. And it's by Carolyn Arnold. I will have to check this out. I really like it. It was so good. So my first book, I thought I was going to have to fight Shannon for, and I didn't. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> this is awesome. Urban fantasy, what we yes. really like in this podcast, Woo-hoo! that we barely see this good anymore because it's it was very popular. And I guess now it's coming back into popular. Again, oh, I hope so. Somewhat that would make me so I happy. Hope so, I love urban fantasy. And for those who have not heard of the podcast before, what is urban fantasy? Shannon, do you remember? Well, according to Natalia, urban fantasy would occur if Obama went to a bar and had a drink with a vampire, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this book is called Oath Sworn Jackie Leon, book one by Kate and Bannett or Kristen Bannett. And as you can probably guess, this book is about Jackie Leon and she has her own bar and she is Obama doesn't go there. Uh, Well, no, Obama (laughs) as far as I know has not gone yet to have a drink. But Jackie is a weird cat. And not only is she a weird cat, but in this book that we speak of, she gets pulled into a werewolf drama by being asked to uphold an ancient treaty which is to protect one of their human pack members because um, her father's this human daughter of a werewolf her father's enemies are after her to get to her father we don't know why we don't know how but basically she goes to Jackie to be protected and based on on the law of werecats, she has to defend her until her final breath because she gave her her word. Even though Jackie kind of doesn't want to have anything to do with the supernatural, she was happy serving drinks at her bar. She didn't even have a bartender or a waitress. Imagine. 
She didn't even have a driveway to her house. I mean, that's how solitary this woman is. Some, something happened to her when she turned into a work cat in her late 20s that we don't know. And so she's kind of been, you know, very to herself until then and until she's asked to join this fight. And since she is Jackie Leon and she gave her word to protect this child, nothing is going to stop her from honoring it. So this is Oath Sworn. Uh, Jackie Leon, book one. And it is great. It is not your typical first book where, you know, it's world building. It is world building, but you're not bored at all. It's, it's, oh, it just, go, you just go right in with both feet and you don't want to stop, right, Shannon? This series like swept through the podcast because Kristen read it, then Mika read it, then I read it, and Natalia, and Georgina, and Christine, and Brooke. <laughs> the twins have not read it. Not yet. I told Sarah um, that I really wanted her to read it. I am not a binger of series in general, but I I read so many of these books in a row. um, And that is not usually how I read. All right. So my next pick is My Fine Fellow by Jenica Cohen. This is a gender swapped my Fair Lady retelling. And everything about this book is magic and fun. So this is set in an alternate 1830s England. And in this world, there are these people known as culinarians. And they are usually aristocratic women who decide for one reason or another that they want to learn to cook and not only just learn to cook in like a basic way, but really understand the science of of cooking and flavors and why certain things work well together and why certain things don't. So there are two young women that we follow and they are Penelope and Helena. And Helena is like the top of her class. She is pretty sure that she's just destined like for everything great. She wants to be a royal chef someday. Um, She just thinks that if people know how good she cooks, then she'll be just set. Penelope is Helena's friend and she is less privileged than Helena. Um, Her parents are in an interracial marriage and this causes society to kind of look less favorably on Penelope than they, they otherwise might, unfortunately. Um, she is half Filipina and half British. And a lot of like nasty, close-minded people don't like this. But she is determined to show the world that European food is not the only thing out there. She wants to bring like, other recipes to, to Britain. So these two girls meet a street vendor one day and his name is Elijah. And they realize that with their help, he can elevate himself beyond the kind of market stall that he normally is working in and maybe become like a a gentleman chef. If they can convince people that he's like just a, a gentleman who is of the proper breeding, and it's just a really good cook. Like, this is a great thing. And this will be the perfect project, Helena thinks, to show not only how good a culinarian she is, but how much she has like to offer to the world at large. 
So kind of like, you know, Henry Higgins and Eliza from My Fair Lady, Helena decides that she's going to turn this street vendor into the perfect gentleman. And all sorts of things go wonderfully awry as she tries to do this. Um, Penelope is kind of the, the softer of the two girls, the one that I liked better and much more willing to view Elijah as a person rather than just as like a means to an end, kind of as, as Helena does. Um, but this book was so much fun. It has like all the historical things that we love about like London in the 1800s, but it also brings in this like cooking kind of show competition that has kind of become a thing with like cooking, you know, reality TV with modern day books. This is like a competition to find the next like royal chef. And it was just so, so lovely. Cohen apparently wrote a book before this, um, which was inspired by Pride and Prejudice. And I've not read it, but I do want to check it out. Um, this one, though, was just really, really special. It is My Fine Fellow, and it's by Jenica Cohen. So my next book is Rejected Shadow Beast Shifters, book one by Jamin Eve. So, ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, our main character's name is Mara. And you would think that Mara would kind of be, have a great life. Um, she is a shifter, a wolf shifter in a very well to do pack. Um, they're a very strong pack, but she's having to pay for the mistakes of her family. Um, when she was young, her father challenged the alpha and as a result died. And so she's kind of become the pack's punching bag and she's kind of done Ooh. with this. So she escapes. Um, and unfortunately the alpha's son and his cronies they find her and they drag her back. They drag her back for her first shift. Um, in these, in this book, like in this world, you don't get your shifts. Like you don't kind of, you're not born being able to shift. Like you don't really, um, you're not really able to shift until you're, I can't remember exactly how she is, but I want to say close to 20 anyway. Um, you don't shift until then. So she comes back um, and she, goes through her first shift, and this leads to her finding her true mate. And you would think that this would be a great thing, but unfortunately for her, she is, she learns that she is the true mate of the alpha, um, not the alpha, sorry, the alpha's son. And obviously this is not cool, but her wolf believes that this is this is kind of make the life a lot better. So she's got a lot of hope, but unfortunately, Torin, that's his name, um, he rejects her. And this like crushes her and crushes her wolf. And so she tries to escape again and she is not successful in escaping. And so the alpha tells her that if she is now going to do anything he wants, so it like she's going to do any, he's going to do 
um, whatever he tells her. And she's not cool with this because he's about to do something to her that's not cool. And so she calls the shadow beast, which is like kind of like seen as the god. He's like, he's the one that gave shifters the ability to shift. So she calls for help and he comes and he helps her. And he takes her back to this like alternate world. It's kind of like a world between worlds. It's where he's like, um, he kind of rules, but at the same time, he has his own world of the shadow world. So it's really neat because the world, um, in this world, there's like a, this in-between world, I mean, there's this like library where you can learn about all the different worlds within this. Um, I guess they kind of call it like a solar system in a way. And I thought it was really cool to see the interactions that Mara had with all the different people because she really didn't know that there were other supernatural beings out there. Like, so she's learning all these things and she's so like witty and so outspoken. So some of the, and a lot of these people are very like proper and stuff like that. So it's quite funny. Um, but so she calls the shadow beast shadow, which I kind of thought was a little corny, but whatever. And shadow has told her that when she called down his help, she ended up opening um, worlds between um, like leading to the shadow world and she released some demons. So she, um, he wants to know like how she did this. And there's a reason that we find out in later books as to why he really wanted her to like to know why she did this. But what he tells her in, at this moment is that he needs her help to get rid of these demons and send them back to the shadow world. And that, my friends, is where I must leave you. This is Rejected, Shadow Beast Shifters, book one, and it's by Jamin Eve. So this is a trilogy. So it's kind of it. So there's the three books, which is Mara and Shadow's story. And then we have like full length spinoff books that come after it. So like book four is one of her friends and one of Shadow's longtime friends that kind of match up and then like so on. Like that's kind of how it goes. Then the next book will be another couple. Okay. I've yeah. seen her name a lot. Um, she's written a lot of books, but I've never actually checked her out before. This is cool. I'm going to try this. So my next book is actually it just came out fairly recently. It's the first Ooh. book I've read by this author, Kathleen West. <laughs> and oh. this is Home or Away. Are you talking about this? No, no. I'm just always oh. glad when more people um, read Kathleen West. Oh, okay. Because we were just going to have the podcast battle. <laughs> no, no. Brooke was going to have to do the rounds and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have to, this so, was uh, one of Brooke's March picks. So, you know, everybody here likes Kathleen West. So Really? Well, this is my <laughs> first book by Kathleen West. And I have to tell you, it impressed the heck out of me. So this is about two friends. And uh, this is about uh, 
Lee McKenzie and Susie Walker. And they used to be close friends and teammates on a girls hockey team USA bound for the Olympics while they were in college. But when Lee's plan to make the final roster backfires, she leaves everything behind to start over, including Susie, who was the one person that knew her secret. Now, when the story starts, we're at two decades later. Lee's a successful investment banker. She's happily married and she's the mom of another hockey prodigy. Wasn't what she wanted, but that's how it worked out, I guess. And she decides to move back to Minnesota to give her kid a fair shot at ultra competitive world that she left behind. And the move puts her right next to in Susie, right next to Susie in her orbit, because Susie is very much entrenched still in the hockey world and it's a daily reminder reminder of how lee watched in the sidelines while all her teammates went on to olympic glory and in spite of the coldness between them susie can't help but hope that lee will lace up her skates and join her as a coach of um youths because you know after all he knows better than anyone how hard it is to be a woman in hockey and Susan's co- Susie's coaching decisions are always questioned by the all-male board. And Susie also has a daughter that plays hockey. And Georgie. Uh, who's really, really good. Yes, Georgie. But she doesn't want her to just be seen as a girl athlete and relegated to the B team with less support and opportunity to advance. But Lee is sure that keeping Susie away is the only way to hide her history with her coach, Jeff Carlson. When he hints of new favors in exchange for her son's ice time and allegations arrive, arise of Jeff's bad conduct, Lee is caught in the ultimate bind. Either she comes clean about what happened when she was in Olympic sports and perhaps destroy her marriage or, or play Jeff's Ooh. game. In a moment of desperation, she realizes that when she turns to Susan, the one person who she thought was her biggest competitor might turn out to be her biggest ally. I have to tell you, this book really inspired me because everything that I expected was going to happen wasn't going to happen or, or rather didn't happen. And it really showed me that even though uh, we're all human and we all have the same temptations and the same fears and insecurities, it doesn't mean that we have to act on them. And we can actually have loyalty and friendship and do the right thing. It was exactly what I needed on this day. So if you can pick up Home or Away by Kathleen West, especially if you want to read about bonds of really good and realistic female friendship. So my next pick tonight is by an author that I have meant to check out for quite some time and just never did. And then this book popped up and it was the perfect opportunity. This is Cherish Farah mm. by Bethany C. Morrow. Um, if you haven't read this, I so highly recommend it, but it is very, very disturbing and Yay. not at all for the faint of heart. <laughs> More than this is, yes, (laughs) (laughs) this is a young adult social horror novel and social horror is a relatively new subgenre that is like social commentary mixed with horror. 
And I have found it one of the only ways I can really deal with horror because um, it's just not a genre that I like most of the time. So this one is the story of Farah. Farah is 17 and she knows that she's the smartest person around. Like no one is as smart as she is. No one thinks the way she does. No one plans the way she does. No one understands the people and the world around her the way she does. And this is all very important because Farah's opinion of herself um, comes into play and is really relevant to like so much of what happens in this novel. So Farah, there's only one person that Farah really likes, and that is her best friend, whose name is Cherish. So Farah and Cherish are both Black, but Cherish was adopted by a white family, and her family is super rich and coddles her in ways that, like, are just really hard to understand. Like, <laughs> this girl grows up with, like, so much doting on her like oh my gosh um like I don't think any child should have you know quite this level of um attention in a, a sort of toxic yuckety way so Farah is kind of jealous of all of the good things that she thinks you know Cherish has in in her life um they live in a pretty well-to-do community. Um, Farrah's parents struggle more than Cherish's do, um, but they still, you know, manage to belong to a country club and send Farrah to a good school. But something happens and their home is being foreclosed on. And Farah is determined that she will not go and live in another area of town and have to change schools and say goodbye to everything that she loves about her relationship with Cherish. So she decides that she's going to move in with Cherish's family. And somehow, like no one thinks this is strange at first, she just sort of does. And then all kinds of things start to happen. There are these strange illnesses that come and go kind of quickly and no one can explain them. Oh. Um, yeah, there's this journal that seems to be keeping track of everything that's going on in the house, but like, oh my God, who's writing in it? Maybe no one, maybe someone. And so you're kind of pulled into this web of like not really knowing what's going on in this house. Like you don't know if someone is out to, to harm Farah, or is all of this stuff sort of orchestrated by Farah to harm someone else. And the, the way that this is, is resolved like really blew my mind. I was not expecting this to turn out the way it did. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very quick read, but super intense. Um, there is some racist language here. Um, and so definitely be aware of that as you pick this up. But it is Cherish Farah, and it's by Bethany C. Morrow. 
So my next pick is Extreme Exposure, I-Team Book One by Pamela Clare. So our main characters are Kara and Reese. So Kara is a single mom and she is a member of the I-Team. So the I-Team is a group of reporters who they're kind of like, everybody wants to be on the I-Team. And each of the reporters like has their specialty. So in each of the books of this series, you meet one of the reporters and you got to like learn about what they do. So Kara, she's more politics. So she's investigating a story. Um, she got this like anonymous tip and it turns out to be that she learns that there's a corporation that is doing some bad things to the environment. So she's investigating this. So our second character's name is Reese and Reese is a senator. So Kara and Reese, they've seen each other at press conferences and other kind of work-related things. One day they have a chance encounter in a bar and it's a hilarious, hilarious encounter. So her and her friends from the I-team, they're out having margaritas and she's had a few too many. And Reese kind of catches her eye and comes by, she's kind of interested to chat, whatever. And they get into this whole like hilarious conversation about oral, about oral sex. And it's like freaking hilarious. So a lot of times like, you wouldn't really think of like a romantic suspense kind of involving a senator, or if it does, you would think it would be kind of boring. But Reese, um, he's a very level-headed guy. He really tries to follow all of the rules. So he was formerly a high school teacher. He taught U.S. government. And he um, was doing like a kind of like a class with um, his students about the importance of government participation and like getting out to vote and like participating. And so they kind of challenged him to run for senator. So that's kind of how he got into this whole position. And so he really tries to make sure that he does everything on the up and up. And so that way, when he goes back to teaching, that he can tell his students like about his experience, but also that he kind of followed the rules. Like he's not going to be any one of those politicians that's in the news. So him and Kara meet and they don't, the, I thought it was really cool. Like he's a very good guy. Um, she tries to get him to come in. Like he drives her home after the bar. Like she, he offers to drive her home. And he says to her, um, I would love to, but how about you ask me after you've had a few less margaritas? So I thought that was pretty cool because a lot of, I find a lot of romantic suspense, like they just kind of jump into bed, but they, this book, you got to, you got to like watch their um, relationship evolve. And you also, I love seeing the interactions between Connor and his mom, as, which is um, Kara's son, as well as between Connor um, and Reese. 
I really, really like how Claire has been able to, like, I think she's, um, as far as I understand, I think she's a journalist herself, or she was. So you can really see that she knows what she's talking about. And I also like how she, how she kind of portrays her two characters, how they're, they really get into, because like in a lot of first books of a series, you kind of get wrapped up in learning about the world. But in the way that Claire has kind of built her thing, you, uh, you learn as like the characters develop. So you don't kind of feel bogged down. So this is Extreme Exposure. I team book one, and it's by Pamela Clare. And I've actually read all of the books in this series, as well as her Cobra Elites um, series. And I really, really like that, how she handles a lot of really, really tough um, issues and tough topics. So my next book is The Book of Cold Cases by Simone St. James. And I don't know whose pick this was. Stacey. Was it my pick or Stacey? Yes, yeah. I've never actually read Simone St. James until I read this book. And this book is from the year 1977, or it's about the year 1977, where this small town of Clear Lake, Oregon, was shaken by the Lady Killer murders, which were two men that were seemingly killed randomly uh, by a lady with the same gun and strange notes left behind. And uh, Beth Greer was the perfect su suspect for these murders because she was a rich, eccentric 23-year-old woman who was seen fleeing one of the crimes. But she was acquitted and she retreated to the isolation of her mansion. And now present day, we're in 2017. Uh, Shay Collins is our main character who's a receptionist. But by night, she runs a crime website called uh, The Book of Cold Cases, which is fueled by the attempted abduction uh, she escaped as a child. And when she meets Beth by chance, she asks her for an interview. And Shay is really shocked because Beth says yes. They meet regularly at Beth's mansion to talk about the events of 1977. And the allure of learning the truth is too strong to keep Shay away, even though she sees things that move and she's not looking and she swears that she's seen a ghost outside the window and she's sensing that something in that house isn't right is she making friends with a manipulative murder or are there other darkness things lurking in the greer house this true crime blogger gets more than she bargained for when she interviews a woman who is the suspect of two cold cases and that she's been acquitted from so this is The Book of Cold Cases by Simone St. James, who is also the author of The Sundown Motel. And that's another book I really, really want to read. This was my first book by this author, and I really, really loved it. So my last pick tonight is the second novel by Maddie Sinha. And this is At Least You Have Your Health. This is a women's fiction novel that looks at kind of the, the healthcare profession and all of the ways in which it serves and doesn't serve women. Our main character is Maya. She is an OBGYN. 
she works at a local hospital um, in a clinic for some reason that you don't know in the beginning, she doesn't do deliveries anymore. Um, she will care for her patients like all the way up through the time of the delivery, but another doctor always has to deliver the baby. And you do find out the reason for this as the book goes on, but at the beginning, you, you don't really understand. And Maya is struggling as a lot of working women do to balance you know, her, her home life. She has three kids and a husband and her very busy professional life. And something goes wrong one day at the hospital. Maya has an altercation with this rich woman who turns out to be a donor. And this ends up costing her her job. And she's not sure, you know, what she's going to do about this. Like, she kind of feels unmoored. She figures, you know, she can get another job. But like, does she want to put herself kind of back in that same situation where if she, you know, upsets a donor, like she can lose her job again. And so she ends up meeting this woman named Amelia. Um, Amelia's kids go to school at the same place that Maya's kids do. And Amelia is like insanely rich, um, like richer than, than you can imagine. And she has decided that she is going to start this boutique health business. And this has been going on now for a while by the time Maya comes into the picture. And they have like all these people who are maybe doctors, maybe not. Um, some of them I, I wasn't really clear what they were exactly. Um, they, they talk about healing, they talk about tantric sex. Um, a lot of them are into like very, you know, new age like spiritual practices. Um, and they go to women's homes and provide them what they consider healthcare. Um, <laughs> I, some of it is, and some of it, I, I'm not sure that I, I would go so far as to call it healthcare. But the idea is here that women know what to do with their own bodies. And by and large, I think that's true to a point. However, if you think it is a good idea to stick a gigantic crystal inside your vagina and it then gets stuck in there um, and you need the gynecologist to come to your house and get it out, I, I might wonder, you know, um, how familiar you are with what should and should not go inside your body. So Maya becomes the gynecologist to these super rich women and <laughs> is baffled and disheartened by some of the things that she sees and some of the things that her patients ask of her. Um, and it caused her to examine kind of her own like ethics. So Amelia, who is kind of the, you know, the person in charge of this company has a teenage daughter and something is very wrong with her daughter. She has come down with a mysterious illness and all of her blood work seems to come back. Okay. Like nobody can figure out what's going on. Now, the only people who get to try to figure it out are like the healers in this company. Like you don't ever go to the regular hospital or, you know, do 
like Western medicine you know, type of tests. And so Maya becomes kind of suspicious and she wonders if some of these protocols that are going on in this clinic are, are causing some problems for this teenage girl. Um, this is definitely women's fiction. It has a little bit of a, like a mystery element in the sense that you don't know what's going on with Amelia's daughter. But at its core, it is Maya's story and kind of how she is trying to find herself and goes about it in some unconventional ways and ends up having to kind of re-examine all the things that she believes about medicine and about herself and about the role of women um, in medicine. So this is At Least You Have Your Health by Maddie Sinha. This sounds so good. I'm definitely going to have to find it. To be fair, it will be out, like it's not out the second. By the time this show airs, it will be out. Um, It comes out on Tuesday. Oh, perfect. I'll definitely be looking for it. So my last book is Moon Touched, Zodiac Wolves, book one by Elizabeth Briggs. So in this world, we... um, each of the wolf packs is named after a zodiac sign and they have like their they have some extra powers based on their zodiac sign if that i hope that makes sense well, that's kind of so cool it's our, like astrology and werewolves <laughs> exactly for example i want to say virgo um they're always ruled by a woman so that's one thing that I thought was interesting. And also, I think they're, I think they're in the pack that's the healers. So they're, they're always healers. Or um, something else that I thought was interesting, like Geminis, they always have twins. Oh, yes. and, they're always, and they're always ruled by twin alphas. So like, Ooh. yeah, so like, in one of the books, I don't know if you meet the, the um, Gemini alphas and they're like fraternal twins so that was kind of cool yeah I thought it was cool so our main character's name is Ayla and Ayla is part human and she is the daughter of the alpha Um, you would assume that she would be like the loved person in the pack unfortunately she's not she is the punching bag of the pack. Um, she's also not treated well whatsoever by her mom, um, by her stepmom, and um, by her father. The only people in the pack who really treat her like human, or even that even that love her really, because they're, they're they're amazing to her, is her brother Wesley and her best friend Mira. So, in this world. When they are about, I think it's 22, they go to like this big meeting of the packs. And this is when the sun witches, they do some magic and they release their wolves. So Ayla is so excited. It's um, her and Mira are like crazy excited. It's time that they're going to get their wolves. 
And at the same time, they know that there's also a possibility that they might meet their fated mate. So they're so excited. So this happens. And Ayla is drawn to her fated mate. And unfortunately for her, um, Jordan is the Alpha's son of the pack, um, the Leo pack. And the Leo pack and the Cancer pack, which I didn't say, Ayla is actually part of the Cancer pack. Um, they are like big enemies. Like they are like the top oh. enemies. Um, so Ayla's wolf thinks, oh, maybe things are going to get better. But unfortunately for her, Jordan rejects her. And so she's pretty distraught and pretty upset. And so they're still at this meeting. And then all of a sudden, the Leos start attacking the Cancers. And like, oh. it's a total like slaughter. So we, we find this out in this, in this um, synopsis, so I'm not giving anything away. Um, but Ayla gets away, so she escapes. And um, she is, she's rescued, well, kind of, like, I guess, kind of rescued. She's kind of rescued by the leader of the 13th pack. So the 13th pack, um, everyone kind of thought they were, like, a mystery, like, they've talked about them, but they were kicked out of the Zodiac Wolves a long time ago for a reason that we don't find out until later. And so... They're kind of like the the hush hush, like nobody really talks about them, like the boogeyman, really, I guess. So she's rescued by them. And that, my friends, is where I must leave you because I cannot give anything away. So this is Moon Touched Zodiac Wolves, book one, and it's by Elizabeth Briggs. And Ooh, I will tell you, but I'll tell you ahead of time right now, Natalia, do not read these books yet. Um, wait till next year when the final book comes out because she horribly, she leaves them on horrible, horrible, horrible cliffhangers. So this new, this is a new author for me. And this is Sherry Lapina. And this is a domestic oh. suspense. We love these. And of course, this hits very close to home considering I have a one-month-old baby. And this is The Couple Next Door by Sherry Lapina. It all started at a dinner party. This is about a young couple and they're apparently friendly neighbors and a twisty roller coaster lie, a <laughs> story of lies, betrayals, and secrets between husbands and wives. My favorite. Don't you guys know I love books about marriage? All yeah, although these people books. in this marriage, um, yeah, are <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I never said I had to be happy. Just even the domestic suspense, romance, <laughs> second chance, divorce, whatever. So this is about Anne and Marco Conti, who seem to have it all—a loving relationship, a wonderful home, and their beautiful baby girl Cara. But one night, when they are out to dinner at a party next door, a terrible crime is committed, and suspicion is basically on the parents from the beginning except the truth is more complicated than that as usually things are right because inside the house an unsettling account of actual events unfolds and the detective behind the investigation knows that the panicked couple is hiding something 
And both Anne and Marco soon discover that the other is keeping secrets, these secrets that they've kept for many years. And what follows is the nerve-wracking unraveling of a family, a chilling sale of deception, (laughs) duplicity, and unfaithfulness that'll keep you breathless until the final shocking and amazing twist. So this is The Coupling Story by Sherry Lapina. And I tell you, this book scared the pants out of me. It's to the point where my dog goes to the bathroom in the corner of my driveway and I won't even leave the baby inside to <laughs> take the dog out. I put the baby in a kangaroo and I walk out with the baby or I make the dog wait for my husband, which makes me feel so guilty. But considering that the dog sleeps all day and doesn't even like tell me she wants to go outside, I don't think it's bothering her too much. All right, so this wraps up the episode on new to us female authors. Thank you to Brooke and Natalia for joining in tonight with such awesome picks. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And we thank each and every one of you so very much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.